So Hebrews chapter 4, we're working our way through the book of Hebrews. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. And this morning we're going to talk about entering the rest of Jesus. Entering the rest of Jesus. Now, before we get started, let me just ask you, when was the last time you went on a vacation and you came back from that vacation feeling rested up? When you came... When you came back rested up, how many of you have often had the experience when you've gone on a vacation, you come back from the vacation feeling like you need another vacation from your vacation? Like you, you went to go have some rest and, 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 and recreation and, and enjoyment, but you just like somehow got caught up in the busyness of doing all this stuff and you came back weary and tired, right? I have a friend who has five kids, I believe, and uh, she... She says, when we go on a, when we, when we go somewhere with our children, we don't call it a vacation. We call it a trip. But when mom and dad get to go somewhere by ourselves, that's what we call a vacation time, right? Cause there's, uh, those of you who have children know that it can be difficult. This is an issue that so many struggle with. Christians and non-Christians. The, the experience of rest, overwork, the experience of just not being able to have healthy rhythms where you stop and, and take a break. And the Bible promises us so much more. It promises us physical rest, but it promises us so much more than merely taking a nap on a vacation, getting a good night's rest. There is something so much more profound that we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews that Hebrews points us to in Jesus. This week... As I was preparing to preach on entering Jesus's rest, my physical rest was challenged in several ways. We have young kids and our youngest uh, has been having a, a hard time going to sleep justice. And there was one night where he was up for a couple hours and he was just wailing, just letting us know. And mama did what she could to calm him down. I did what I could to calm him down going there. Hey, you all right? All right. No, no I did more than that. Uh, I, I feel helpless though. When I go in there, it's like, I, I don't have very much to offer you, but, uh, you know, we could go play and stuff, but you need to be sleeping right now. So my rest was challenged in that sense with just, with the kiddos, with, uh, busy schedules. Um, but also we had a, um, we had an intruder or an attempted intruder, uh, this week in, in our home at two o'clock in the morning, 1.45 in the morning on Monday night. We were sound asleep and I hear a, a little tap, 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 tap at the door. And so I went to the back door to see what was going on. And, um, and then I looked at the front door and it turns out there's a, there's a young Hispanic guy who's drunk on our doorstep. Who's trying to get in the front door. He hadn't ring the doorbell. He's trying to open our door. And so I go into protect mode, protective mode, daddy mode, like lookout mode. You know, Kendall calls the police. I, I say, call the police, sweetie. She's like, ah, you know, she's, She was, she heard her voice too. Like she was, the girls woke up. I'm there, you know, trying, trying to protect the family that, you know, police come Garland police are amazing. They got there in five minutes. The guy was drunk. He probably was trying to get into the wrong home. Uh, and, and they, they took him. They took him to, uh, to jail that night for public intoxication, uh, and we were able to sleep after losing a couple of hours that night. The next night was uh, not so not so great either. We had a harder time entering our physical rest. 
these are just some of the things that happen in our day to day lives. We experience sickness. We experience raising children. We experience things that are going on in the world like coronavirus, people trying to intrude and take from us or or maybe show up intoxicated at our front front door. And there's all kinds of rest robbers that we experience in this world. But in Jesus, you and I have this this deep, profound rest that goes deeper than just being able to get a nap on Sunday afternoon or deeper than uh, being able to just get eight hours of sleep. There is a spiritual rest that God provides his people who come to him in faith. And the book of Hebrews points us to that rest. As we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about one of the songs I think triggered this, the thought about Jesus, how he was uh, in the boat with his disciples and there was this crazy storm going on. And he's asleep, okay? The disciples who were experienced fishermen, some of them were experienced fishermen, they were freaking out like, we're about to die and you're sleeping. What's wrong with you? Wake up. Save us, Jesus, lest we perish. And he's just asleep. And, and so Jesus is, is walking in this rest as a human being in this world, living in the realities of the kingdom of God. And he's not being affected by the, the external things that could rob from his rest. And he gets up and he says, peace be still. And he just speaks to the storm and, and just calms the storm. And, and then, then he says, why are you guys unbelieving? Why are you so afraid, right? And so, so Jesus is the source of our rest. And that's what the author of Hebrews is going to point us to. That he gives us this ultimate rest that, that Moses didn't lead the people of God into, that Joshua wasn't able to lead the people of God into, but Jesus, the greater Moses, the greater Joshua, the one who's greater than the angels, the one who's greater than those who've gone before, Jesus offers this Sabbath, Sabbath rest that you and I can enter into. I was reminded also of uh, Psalm 127 this week as, as I was the next night, um, trying to go to sleep, just thinking, okay, what if this guy comes back or another guy comes and tries to get into to the house? And Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It's vain to stay up late and rise early to eat the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. So you and I can sleep and rest trusting that God is watching over us, that he's keeping us, that he he's the one who's going to intervene. He's sovereign over the storms in our lives. And he's provided a rest for you and I to enter into now and a rest to enter into for all eternity. So this morning, our big idea is simply this, that God has promised and provided a rest for his people today. So we must be intentional about entering to that rest by faith. There is a there is a promise, an open-ended promise. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, there is a there is a rest provided for you and I. Now is the time of grace and mercy to enter into what God has provided for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to say, too, that I did wrestle with this chapter. There's there's a lot going on here theologically, and there's probably a, a lot to that many of you probably have questions as you read through it, as you're uh, just trying to make sense of what does this mean here. So specifically like verse 1, let us fear lest there, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. 
Um, I got five points here. And the first one is that the exhortation to enter Jesus's rest is urgent. Okay, notice the sense of urgency that the author of Hebrews has when he talks about this rest that God has provided. He uses two exhortations, particularly in uh, chapter four, as a, as a call to action. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Okay, so we need to wrestle with that. What, is, what does that mean? What does that look like? For us to have a healthy biblical fear that the, the, the author of Hebrews is calling us to. And by the way, the author of Hebrews isn't the only one who calls us in the New Testament to have a healthy fear. Uh, Peter does. Paul does. Okay? So this is a biblical concept. And yet there's, there's scriptures that also talk about God delivering us from fear. And so we gotta wrestle with that. How does that work? Also, verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Let us be diligent. Let us work hard and strive so that we can rest. Work hard to, to rest. Okay? So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so, so there, there's, there's, a, there's a couple things that I, I think we can take from this. First of all, is that there's this urgency when it comes to entering the rest of God. Make sure that among the church, among the community of faith, those who are professing believers in Jesus Christ, make sure that none of you fail to, to miss out on this rest that God has provided. Okay? Because the author of Hebrews he probably suspects that there's some who are being tempted to turn away and miss out on what God has provided. And so don't just pursue, presume that because you're in the church, that you're actually of the church, that you are the people of God. Just by mere association with Christians doesn't make one a Christian. Putting a, a bicycle in a car garage doesn't make a bicycle a car, right? There, there's there's something that happens on the inside that that will uh, will explain a little bit more uh, when we become true Christians, when we have true faith. And so there were many Israelites who were among those who were delivered out of Egypt. But they were unbelieving and disobedient and they failed to enter to the rest of God that he had for them. And so we got to make some sense of this. Um, what does this mean and what does this look like for us to to fear? Let us fear. And he uses and when when the author of Hebrews gives us these exhortations, he uses that phrase. Let us let us let us let us let us. OK, take note of those. Let us verses in the scripture. And he includes himself. When he says that, by the way, as a part of the people of God. And, and I, I aim to do the same. When I preach these sermons up here, these sermons are just as much for me as they are for you, saints. And so I'm going to use this language too. Let us, saints, let us, let us be, the NIV says be careful, right? Something, let us be careful. I think it softens that. Theologians highlight that that's, that's a little too soft of, of a, a rendering of what he's saying here in verse one. There, there should be this healthy fear of God. Paul says in, in Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now we don't work for our salvation with fear and trembling. And though the author of Hebrews is calling the people of God to persevere in faith, he in no way is saying work real hard so that you can be saved. He's not doing that. 
what he's, what he's calling out is genuine faith that is proven through perseverance, as we talked about last week. If you missed that, you can get that online. And then he says, strive, be diligent. Like, like the, entering into God's rest must, it, it requires some intentionality. It just doesn't automatically happen. Okay? There, there, there is a response to the grace of God, to the promise of God. There's a response of faith that we respond to God's word. Theologian Donald Guthrie says this. It would be salutary for Christians seriously to consider the failure of the Israelites and their incurring the displeasure of God and to fear lest a similar calamity should befall members of the new community, the spiritual Israel. In view of this, an element of godly fear is invaluable for it brings home the solemn consequence of underrating God's provision for his people. So let us fear, lest there be anyone among us who misses out on that. And, and those who don't have genuine faith and haven't converted in a genuine believing sense, they have a lot to fear. Those who, those who don't have a faith that perseveres to the end, they have a lot to fear. And one of the problems is that many of those professing Christians who, who say they believe and, and they, they, they turn away is that they lack a healthy fear of God. They seem to count the things of God common and trifle over the weighty things of God that He presents to us in Scripture. And at the end of this chapter, He tells us we're gonna, we're gonna give an account to God and, and, and what he has said through his word. Take note of the unbelieving Israelites. So, so we looked at this a little bit last week and we looked at also how Paul said these things were written about them for our examples that we should not follow in their examples. So when we read the story about the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt, but then being stuck in the wilderness and not entering to God's rest that he had promised and provided for them, let it be a warning to us that we not murmur and complain, that we not turn away in unbelief and disobedience, that we not commit sexual immorality and do the things that they did. And, and he tells us the reason why they didn't enter in and the reason why God was was upset with, with them was because they were disobedient and, and they were unbelieving. OK, one one theologian says that. Uh, he points out the, and, and a lot of theologians point out the close connection between disobedience and unbelief. But one, one theologian points out, uh, he calls the, the disobedient, um, unbelief in action. The disobedience of the Israelites was their unbelief in action. What we believe really does translate into what we do with our lives or not do with our lives. I mean, we could say all day, uh, I, I believe in this, that, that this elevator that we have in this building is trustworthy. Um, but unless you actually get into it and, and, and try it out, then you're not really exercising your faith that is trustworthy. Um, I don't use that elevator, by the way. It does work. But if you use it, use it in faith. And make sure you got a cell phone on you in case you need to call somebody. No, I'm just kidding. Another thing we have to wrestle with theologically is this, this the verse 2 where it says, for the good news came to us just as them. Now notice the author of Hebrews is making a comparison here. He's, there's some parallels, okay? 
There's, there's several things that connect that we can learn from lessons that we can learn from and how, and how they responded to God in the wilderness. Um, but he says, for the good news came to us just as them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith with those who listened. So what does this mean? The good news. Like when, when we think about now, when we hear good news or gospel, we're thinking New Testament. We're thinking Jesus is Rome, uh, first Corinthians 15. Jesus is death. His burial is resurrection, right? I mean, we're thinking in those terms as New Testament believers. Paul does mention in, in Galatians 3 about the gospel being uh, shared with, with Abraham. And here with the, with the Israelites, them having some good news shared with them. I found this uh, statement here by David Chapman helpful. And he points out, he says, The good news of the Exodus included God's promised deliverance from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. You guys work seven days a week and have for years. There's no rest for you guys. I see this. I hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered by this. And I'm going to deliver you out of the oppression of the Egyptians. If you're, if you're a slave in bondage to slavery and there's no freedom, it's good news that there's a deliverer who's going to bring you out. It's going to bring you into a, a promised land, delivered from your oppressors. So, so this commentator says, uh, it's God's promised deliverance from Egypt, the covenant he established with his people. Now, within the, the old covenant, God has some really beautiful, gracious, merciful, loving things to say to his people. He also has some really hard things to say and warnings. And the New Testament is better and superior in many ways. And the author of Hebrews argues this throughout the book. But in the Old Covenant, we have the revelation of God, the, the one who's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's mentioned several times in the Old Covenant. That was first mentioned to God revealed himself to Moses in that way. He forgives iniquities. And the Old Testament saints like David and Abraham Paul says they celebrated this reality that God forgives sins and God gives righteousness by faith. So this good news, uh, according to David Chapman, includes the, God's promised deliverance from Egypt, the covenant he established with his people, and the hope of entering the promised land. Exodus 6, 1 through 6. The good news for the church includes the revelation and deliverance found in the Lord Jesus. The new covenant he has established through his high priestly sacrifice and the hope of eternity with him. Hebrews 1 through 4, 1, 1 through 4, and Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 brings us back to Genesis. And he says it's, you know, it's said in a place. And, and, and by the way, he didn't have chapter divisions like we have. Those came later on. And so he just says, you know, a lot of times the, the, the New Testament writers will just say, you know, it says in Isaiah or it says in the Psalms or David said, and they don't give us chapter and verse. They, the, the chapter and verses weren't there provided when the New Testament was written. But notice, notice in verse three through through five, he says, for we who have believed have entered that rest. As he has said, I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. 
And again, this passage said, they shall not enter my rest. So from the beginning of creation, Hebrews points us way back to the beginning, the first mention of rest in Scripture, and the pattern that God Almighty set for humanity to experience and pattern their lives after and to experience for all eternity. God didn't need rest. It wasn't as if six days of work was just way too hard for him and he just needed to take a break so he can get his strength back. And, and God, when he rested on the seventh day, it wasn't that God kind of winded up creation like a clock and just let it go like deism teaches us. He's still holding all creation through the word of his power. He's still intimately and actively involved with his creation, but he's provided this pattern of rest for the people of God to enter into. And it's so much more than just having one day that you don't work. Okay, if, if we if we try to boil this Hebrews 4 down to keeping a Sabbath on a particular day, we are missing the point of the passage here. Okay, now I believe that Christians should have within their, their weekly rhythms one day of rest. It's good, it's wise, the scripture teaches that. Okay, and I think there's freedom on which day that happens for, for you. Uh, I think Sundays are great days to have a day of rest and worship, right? But that's not the main point here, is that the experience of entering Jesus' rest is immediate and future-oriented. Okay, it's immediate. Now, theologians disagree on this. Godly, solid theologians uh, have some disagreement about this. Some theologians say it's only future I, I agree with others who would say, no, it's not just future. It's, it's for us now. And when you read the text, I think you might come to those same conclusions. Look at, at verse 3. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. We, you and I who have believed, we, we enter that rest as he said. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, for those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience as, as he appoints a certain day today. Notice his repetition of today, 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 today. There's this opportunity for you to enter that rest. Not tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. It's today, today. So it's not just a past thing. Where God gave rest from, from the oppressors of, of the Egyptians and the, the Canaanites. And then they, they had, the, they were in the land. Joshua led them into the land, the promised land, right? It would, it's not just that. Okay. It's, it's, it's something, it's more than that. It's, it's this, this spiritual rest that God has provided today that we enter into today. And then we also experience it for all eternity. Now, when we speak about our salvation, the, the Bible speaks about it in terms of now we are saved and we're being saved and we will be saved. OK, when the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus, the king says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is coming and the kingdom of God will come. And I think we as students of the Bible, we tend to get in trouble theologically when we put so much emphasis on one that we neglect the other. We put so much emphasis on the kingdom has come now. So there shouldn't be any of this brokenness or sickness or poverty or any of the, the suffering we see in the world. And that's over-realized eschatology. 
Okay, that's what the prosperity gospel does, and it leads to error because the the Bible has this describes that we're living in this tension of what theologians call the already, not yet. Okay, and so if we overemphasize the not yet to the neglect of the already, or if we oversize the already to the neglect of the not yet, we get off. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? Am I getting too theologically nerdy on you guys? Okay, I like this stuff. This is helpful for me. And it helps bring some clarity just where we, we tend to, to, to get off. And, and so, so we should enter that rest now and today and experience kingdom blessings now, gospel blessings now. But this isn't it. There's more to come. Okay? That rest is so much more than just today, but that, that, that rest isn't less than today, us experiencing it today. And so verse nine, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's for you and me, saints. A Sabbath rest for us to enter into. So the experience of entering the rest is immediate and is future oriented. Okay, Revelation 4. Here's, here's something that would affirm the future oriented aspect of this rest. Revelation 14, 12 and 13 says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. That's what we talked about last week in chapter 3. The endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Lord, uh, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and for their deeds follow them. Amen. By the way, my wife is not here this morning. Um. Because her her grandmother passed away uh, at four o'clock in the morning, so she made a trip uh, down to Llano, Texas, to be there, and she got a chance to um, say goodbye to her before she left. You and I have this to look forward to: a place where there's no more sickness, suffering, sorrow, disease, or death; a place where there is rest. Okay, we have it to look forward to, but we also have it. To experience right now. Uh, Donald Guthrie says this. That when he says. We who have believed past tense. Enter present that rest. He is stressing that the rest he is thinking of. Is an experience already in process of being fulfilled. It is not something simply to be hoped for in the future. It is an essential part of the present reality for Christians. And let me ask you. Does your life. Is your life characterized by rest. In any sense, are you a restful, peaceful person? And if not, why not? Now, this doesn't, this doesn't neglect or downplay the reality that we're to be about the Father's business and steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When Jesus called his disciples to come to him, he says, take my yoke, which implies there's work to be done. But you know what? I'm going to give you rest for your souls. I'm not going to drive you like a slave driver or oppressor. I'm, I'm going to, my yoke fits perfect for you. Okay, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we'll look at that shortly. Guthrie again says, what believers can now enter is none other than the same kind of rest which the creator enjoyed when he had completed his works, which means the rest idea is of completion, not of inactivity. So let's talk about the essence of Jesus's rest. The essence of Jesus's rest is spiritual. Verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works 
as God did from his. Okay, there's this deep, profound spiritual rest that God gives us in Jesus that affects every other area of our lives. And we'll look at that. But here's what the author of Hebrews is getting to. Here, here's, here's the heart, here's the meat, here's what God has for you and I who've come to trust in Jesus Christ and the gospel. David Peterson says this, that the promise of entering now into this rest means ceasing from spiritual strivings, okay, that reflect uncertainty about one's final destiny. It means enjoyment of being uh, established in the presence of God and to share an everlasting joy. That God entered when he rested on the seventh day. When I read this, I can't help but be reminded of some of the saints that we know about in in church history. Like Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk who knew much of the scriptures and was immersed in the Roman Catholic culture. And was a part of, he was was a monk and, and he had this unrest in his soul. Because he, he, he missed the truth of the gospel, specifically justification by faith. And he, he ended up coming to the Lord in, in a genuine saving way by placing his faith in Christ alone. Through faith alone for salvation. And it was a game changer for him. It changed the entire trajectory of his life. And he was one of the leading reformers of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. And he made history because he stood upon what the word of God says over what the Pope says. And what, what, what the religious community was practicing that was not in sync with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't help but be reminded of John Wesley who was brought up in a Christian family. Godly family. Lots and lots of siblings. Godly parents. He went to, to a good school. He even went on the mission, mission field. And yet he wasn't born again according to his own testimony. He had a lot of good works, a lot of good things, a lot of good activity. But on, when he was, when he was on a boat trip with the, some Arabian missionaries and there was this storm raging and he was fearful of dying. And these Moravians were singing worship and praise to God. And they just seemed at peace. He was like, I'm missing something. He realized I'm missing something here. I'm missing something here. And so, so he got connected with this, uh, this Moravian missionary, I think his name was Peter, Peter Bowler, and he went to a, a Bible study where, where he was teaching on either Galatians or Romans on being justified by faith using Martin Luther's commentary. And as, as John Wesley heard this gospel truth that we're justified by faith, he says his heart was strangely warmed within him. He got genuinely saved. And, and, and God changed the entire trajectory of his life. Another another quote says that God's rest centered upon recognizing that his work of creation was now completed. Christians enter into his rest through recognizing Christ's work of redeeming them from sin has also been accomplished. The work is finished. The work is done. Christ has paid the price. We don't add anything to the gospel. The author of Hebrews is going to emphasize that the sacrifice made for our sins is a perfect one. And it's one that's been been taken care of once and for all. And so we don't we don't try to add to it. We don't strive to try to help God out. 
Okay, we just receive it and respond in faith and persevere in that faith. Jesus said it like this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We can have lots of rest physically, but miss out on this rest for our souls. Okay, and only Christ can give give that to us. Only Christ can give that rest for our souls. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless. Thou hast created us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. So it's, it's only when we come to Jesus in faith and we lay the burdens down of our sin and our shame and our guilt at his feet, the effects of Jesus's rest impact us, impacts us emotionally. Okay, though the essence of it is spiritual, it has emotional impact upon our lives, emotional effects. In Hebrews 2, the author of Hebrews describes how the fear of death has been loosened from those of us who have believed in Christ. Those of us who've come to Christ because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the fear of death can be broken in our lives. So we're no longer slaves to the fear of dying. Okay, and so another effect of the the rest and the gospel rest that God provides for us is guilt removed. Hebrews nine fourteen talks about having our consciences purified by the blood of Jesus. Fear, guilt. What about shame? Shame is the, the withdrawal shame withdrawal is overcome and replaced with confidence we can draw near to god with confidence to the throne of grace and experience mercy and grace because of jesus through his blood we can enter into the most holy place though we've been unholy in our thoughts words and actions his blood makes us holy Amen. And so this is a reversal. This counters what was lost at creation when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the result was guilt, fear and shame. They realized they were naked. They were ashamed. They tried to hide. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. God says, where are you? That's the opportunity. It's not like God didn't know. God, God knew where they were. That was their opportunity. Right. Like parents, you know, when you ask your kids, you know, what have you done? What were you? Did you eat those chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chips like on their their face? No, no. Y'all seen the videos. Y'all have had those experiences. That's our nature to try to cover up and make our own fig leaves of righteousness, spiritual strivings to cover up our sins. We don't need God. We don't need other people. We got this. And God says, no, you don't. He sends the Savior to save us from our sins. And God's, God forgives sins, not excuses, and not mistakes that we just try to cover up and act like aren't there. But when we bring those sins into the light, and we can, because Christ has made a way for us, we, we can come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. We can be a community of people who are open and transparent with our lives, with our sins, confessing one to another because we know we'll be met with grace by our Lord and by the people of God. And so the gospel addresses the most 
the, the deepest dysfunctions in our lives of fear of death and guilt and shame. And, and frees us up so that we're not held in bondage by these things. So it affects us spiritually, emotionally, and even physically. We can rest physically. Um, because we don't have to try to prove, we don't have to overwork to prove our value to our employers. Or to our other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We don't have to be the most spiritual gifted person among us to have value and worth. We have God's smile, God's approval. We're in the family of God. We're made right with Jesus because of his perfect sacrifice. That changes everything for us. That frees us up to be able to rest well and work hard in what he's called us to do. Amen? Or the the song in Christ alone sums this up well. In the third or fourth verse, it says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And so the last thing is that we, the entrance to that rest is by faith. This is simple. It's very clear in the text. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. We enter in through hearing and heeding God's voice in faith. It's not enough for us to merely hear the word of God. We have to respond to it with faith. The Israelites heard the good news, quote, good news. And they didn't. It wasn't mixed with faith that led to a life of obedience. And so they found themselves stuck in between having been delivered out of Egypt and, and, and not making it into the promised land. They were stuck in this wilderness experience for 40 years when it should have been a, more like a two-week uh, trip. And they just kept going round and round the same issues over and over and over again. And they were hard-hearted, rebellious, unbelieving. And God's like, I have rest for you. Why are you wearing yourself out? Why are you doing this to yourself? Those of us who have believed, we've entered into that rest. And if we're we're genuine believers and we're not experiencing the full benefits of that rest, we're not experiencing peace in our hearts, the, the peace of Christ ruling our hearts, then we need to apply the truth of the gospel a little deeper, a little more. We need to think about it, believe it. We need to encourage one another with it. We need to preach it to ourselves. We need to let it sink from here to here, right? It's not enough for us to just merely hear it. We need to believe it. And, and true belief is displayed through action. And so uh, last verses here, let me close. Our clock is not working this morning, so I'm going to blame that on going late. Uh, it shows to be 837 right now. And it's, it's yeah, we still got a lot of time. I'll have you out before 12, according to that clock. Um, Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this, this verse is often quoted out of context and understandably so because it's a great verse and it stands alone well but it is connected it is connected with this idea of entering god's rest okay uh entering god's rest 
happens by us hearing and heeding God's voice, his word, what he has spoken. Not entering God's rest happens by us hearing God's word and not believing and not obeying what he says. And the word of God is living and powerful. It's true. It's powerful. And it pierces and it cuts. It gives us an MRI. It cuts us down and shows us exactly where we're at. It gives us beautiful promises, but it also gives us very strong warnings. That if you don't hear and heed, believe these, this, this word, you will give an account. We all will give an account before him. That we all are naked and exposed to. There's nothing we can hide from God. He sees us. And what's beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is he knows the depth of our wickedness. And our brokenness. And our sinfulness. And selfishness. And yet he loves us more deeply and truly. Than any other person that we could think of. Those around us. They may love us a lot. But they, they may not know, know us at the deepest level and know our deepest struggles and deepest, darkest sins. But God knows those. God knows those. And yet he still welcomes us, embraces us, forgives us, gives us rest, gives us forgiveness, gives us life. And so let's be a people who hear and heed his word. Let me finish an application here. Preach the gospel to yourself. Reflect on it. Embrace it. Even when it cuts with conviction of your sin. It, it, it cuts us. It hurts sometimes. It's kind of uncomfortable to hear certain things from the Bible. When, especially when we're not living them and applying them to our lives. I mean, stuff like love your neighbor. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. And then you just got impatient and unkind with somebody. It's like, oh, that hurt. Like, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. If you have a complaint towards someone, you must forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. Oh, yeah, that, that hurt. Like, there's, there's, there's this cutting and conviction that happens like a, like a doctor that comes in and is, and is just going for that cancer. Let me get it out. It's going to hurt, okay? But it, this is going to help you if you embrace it and, and let me do my work. And God's word is like that. Um, <clears throat> so preach the gospel to yourself, reflect on it, embrace it, even when it cuts you with the conviction of your sin and believe, believe it until you experience the full benefits of rest. Believe it, cling to it. Come to come before the throne of grace frequently in prayer to find grace and mercy that you need. That's verse 16. That's the end of the chapter of Hebrews four. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. Today, today there is grace available to you and I. If you're a non-Christian, today that's available for you. If you hear God's voice and you respond, grace and mercy is available for you. If you're a Christian, you have consistent access to that grace. And, and so we keep going back to that source, to the one who sustains us and holds us and gives us everything that we need in this life. Our shepherd, our good shepherd. And lastly, Jesus, um, find rest for your soul in Jesus. Take his yoke. Learn to live in the rhythms of his grace. The, as, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases that Matthew 11, uh, the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn to live in those. He provides that for us. Amen. I'm going to close in prayers. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for these words. May we hear them, heed them, and may we experience the rest you have for us. May we not harden our hearts when we hear something that we don't like or doesn't feel comfortable. May we embrace your word. Believe your word. Allow it to do its cutting, its cleansing, and changing of our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people here at City Church who are marked by your rest. That we would have gospel rest in Jesus. And that as a result of being able to rest in Jesus, that we would be able to persevere well and finish strong. Because we're not doing it in our own strength. We're following you in the strength that you supply. And in the strength that you keep us with and sustain us with. So teach us to live according to the unforced rhythms of your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you. May he give you his peace.